I am recording. Um, we don't have to clap because we're in the same room together. So you can just start whenever. Oh, shit, right. Now I have to do this off the top of my head. Yeah, dome. you get to um, do the intro while staring in my face, knowing that I'm judging you. Damn. I thought we were friends. <laughs> this is uh. what friends do. I got sucked off by historical King Arthur, also known as Sabermetrics, I guess. You also had to say that name in front of me. Oh, I, I'll say that name in front of anybody. I don't give a <laughs> shit. No, that name rules. Uh, my name is Sierra. My pronouns are she, her. My name's Dustin. My pronouns are he, they. Um, this is a critical and sincere examination of the Fate Stay Night series. Uh, we bring you this very special episode, not because uh, we are doing any special content, but because we are in the same room together, um, because I am visiting Sierra State just sort of by happenstance, uh, so I just stopped by uh, to hang out and eat pizza, and now that I'm thoroughly suffused with cheese curds, I'm going to be recording a Fate Stay Night podcast, I guess. Now we get to have two people with dog shit acoustics instead of just me. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. I love this wood floor. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh... Um, before we get into the actual Fate Stay Night content, though, um, I do need to go over a, a quick topic that I promised Sierra I was going to cover, and that is I need to make an I need to make oh, right. my my journalistic integrity. I am I I am a graduate of the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. My journalistic ethic ethics will not will basically required me to do a retraction on one of my uh, one of our previous episodes we recorded um, back when we reviewed Genshin Impact and Honkai Impact for Gacha Journalism I stated that Honkai Impact was fine but it's kind of mediocre and there wasn't much going for it and the story was just kind of so-so and Genshin Impact was way better I was a fucking idiot <laughs> I, I, I tried to be real nice during that episode but like listening back you could hear me, like, just, like, gripping my leg tightly, like, So, I will say in my partial defense, but only partial, because I am going to rip into myself a bit here. Um, when I recorded that, I'd only played, like, the first couple chapters of the main story, yeah. which is not enough to realize no. that there's anything at all special about the Honkai Impact storyline. Honkai storyline is, I think the gotcha storyline that is most like real i guess uh, in, in that it feels like it, it is a active designed narrative as opposed to like yes. grand blues which is like this is designed to be a shonen forever anime yeah there, there is no end in sight yeah we're we're just doing this thing now because it has to go on um or like kingdom hearts unchained until recently where we're just like well we do have an answer in mind but also we can't get to it yet because this has to go on for so so we're just gonna fill in a bunch of yeah. dumb shit um well like 
I recently got back into Honkai Impact, primarily because of um, uh, our mutual acquaintance, um, uh, uh, Olivia, who is on... Uh, she does several podcasts, mm-hmm. one of which um, is uh, we are we are the champions, which used yep. to be a League of Legends podcast, is now a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast, which is very good. <laughs> I Highly forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, they just switched to doing Yu-Gi-Oh because it turns out it, it sucks to talk about League, which which yeah, that's fair. Uh-huh. I mean, that's basically what we did. <laughs> Uh-huh. We, we both at a point where we were just like, "Hey, this is kind of miserable. Yeah. I'll do something else." Yeah, yeah. We we have uh, the 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 we made the mutual decision to like, "Hey, we we both realized our podcast ideas sucked, so we did something different." <laughs> I don't know that it well, sucked, no, it didn't but suck, it, it ran out. Yeah, it ran out. Um, but yeah, she, she started making tweets where she showed panels from the Honkai Impact like mangas, it's which are meant gay. to fill in some side stories. Um, specifically the one that got me was the one, it, it's for the, the one that fills in the backstory of, like, what happened during the second eruption. Yeah. And it talks about the space race. And it talks about when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, he said there's one great, one giant leap for mankind, whatever. And then, and then the manga goes on to say, there's something, but there was, he said another thing after that that didn't get aired. <laughs> As, like, if, uh, Houston... Uh, I think humanity, I think humanity, uh, uh, is, like, at an end or something. I can't remember the exact wording of that. Uh, it rules. But it's basically, like, Neil Armstrong, while he was on the far side of the moon, saw a weird-ass, like, ancient alien structure, and I was like, Houston, we're fucked. <laughs> and that's what got me back into the uh-huh. Hawkeye. It fucking story. rules. And so I, I played through it, and I got to chapter four, uh, which is where I really started to get into it because mm-hmm. chapter four is where like actual changes happen to the status quo yep. in a way that I wasn't used to seeing from gotcha no. storylines like outside of like maybe uh, fake grand order, but you have to play fake, fake grand order until like after the completion of like the first entire story arc. It's not until Camelot really that you start seeing any movement in the status quo. Yeah, yeah, and and then there's there's actually like quite a few changes after that. Like Lost sure. World does some crazy shit, but it takes a long time in fake grand order. Um, and by the by the end of by like chapter eight, where you get like the first like real cinematic. Mm-hmm. anime short that kicks ass yeah um i was fully on board uh-huh. uh and i am honkai impact is currently the only gacha game i play where not only do i primarily focus on the story mode but i'm actively annoyed when i run out of stamina and it means i can no longer catch up on the story story mode until tomorrow and i'm actually pissed off that i cannot simply oh, yeah early replenish. range stamina is super limiting yeah cuz i only have 130 so yeah. that means you know if i play for that day i can only do like 13 story missions which in some cases, won't even get me finished with that chapter. Yeah. Um, and it also means that I literally can't do any of the other daily missions for the day. Yep. Uh, so I have to basically choose, do I want to get caught up as much as I can on the story, or like, do I want to do daily missions? For, for what it's worth, um, like just playing pretty casually and occasionally, I have like 50, 30 stamina pots just chilling that I just don't use. Yeah. So like... 
I ran out of all my stamina pots. Yeah, I, 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 I used didn't them like, already. <laughs> you you will get more of them, especially because uh, we're gonna have the new patch drop, and so more okay. of them will be available. Um, but yeah, can't wait to lose all of that money and time on Fischl. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. The the one character I gave a shit about in uh, Genshin. Yeah. Uh huh. Say. Well, her and Ganyu. Oh, the, I also liked the, uh, the, uh, uh, who's the lightning uh, greatsword lady who has the parry. Lightning greatsword is that uh, Kikane? I think so. Yes, she was cool. I, I, I thought I, she was a fencer though. Maybe I'm thinking the wrong person. Nope, she's got a greatsword. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, it, it, she's got like a parry, and it, it's cool. It's a cool mechanic in the game. Shame it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, she's gonna be a time limited story character in Honkai as well, right? I have no idea. Yeah, because we're getting Fischl permanently, yeah. but then there's Kaking is also going to be like. A I think she's going to be like a, event playable, yeah. yeah. Event playable, so she won't be a. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be like Threshold Breach, where it's like, oh yeah, she's going to be a character who is playable, but not going to actually exist, like yeah. the versions of uh, characters we get in Threshold Breach. Yeah, but anyway, the moral of the story is um, uh, I'm a fucking dumbass. Honkai Impact <laughs> is so much better than Genshin. So I, I think, to be fair to you, <laughs> Honkai Impact is has like a way stiffer barrier to entry than Genshin. Genshin out the gate is like, there's a bunch of stuff you can do, it doesn't cost any stamina, there's no gating or anything, uh, and it, the core verbs that you're going to be interacting with are available to you right out the gate. Um, like, you, you have access to all the different elements, you've got access to the characters and the basic functionalities, even if you really need them seven-starred to make them actually usable in a lot of cases, like, Fischl desperately wants it. Yeah. Um, but, like, it, basic elemental interactions, things like that, that's all, like, available out the gate. You can explore the world, do stuff like that, uh, uh, no cost, you can do that as much as you want, and that's, like, a big draw early into the game. Um, it gives you a lot to do early, and then you're invested, and then you're gated by stamina mechanics but that's yeah. after you're invested um Gen or honkai is much different in that stamina gates you way hard especially early when you've got low stamina uh don't have access to stamina pots uh the amount of things it wants you to do or that you can do daily that are rewarding to you to do daily are or far exceed the amount of stamina you have especially if you're doing uh open world stuff yeah you definitely have to pick and choose more yeah like, you have to pick and choose what, what your progression you want to do yeah um and the amount of daily stuff that you can do is like super varied there's memorial arena there's abyss uh there's whatever events currently happening yeah there's the expeditions so you can get like character shards there's golden pin farming mm -hmm. um th there's story and there's a fucking absurd amount of story yeah whatever then, event is going on and then also the story doesn't pop off for like four chapters where is where it starts to happen. Yeah. I think six chapters is when it like actually kicks. Yeah, because chapter six is where you get Kiana in the digital represent yes. representation of the Tower of Babylon. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. That 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 is the what I'm thinking of is when like things really kick into high gear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and th that is when you start to realize, oh hey they. Yeah, it that, is not an infinite story. It is a story they are moving in a specific and unintentional. Yeah, direction. that's where that's where you're first like, oh, Kiana has trauma, and auto She's got so much and trauma. Auto apocalypse is the worst person to ever exist. Yeah, he sucks dick. <laughs> I fucking hate Otto. <laughs> like, uh, it, it's funny because in a in a in a game where the storyline is like the hair shares during the the previous civilization were so fucked up that the final one just ended human civilization. Mm -hmm. um, 
somehow the bigger villain than even the end of Civilization is Auto Apocalypse. I, I mean, part of it is because, like, we see, like, everybody who becomes a Hersher is somebody who is, traumatized. like, deeply traumatized, and that is what allows them to be enticed by Honkai. And, yeah, like, because the Honkai are like, hey, humans suck, right? <laughs> and, yeah. And the traumatized abuse victim is like, yeah, they sure I, do. I, I do agree, and it's like, <laughs> fuck, man, I can't disagree. Yeah, and Otto and, like, a, a lot of people in Shixel's whole uh, organization are like you know what the solution is to stopping hair shares from be- from becoming a thing again traumatize more children but do it faster more efficient. yeah try and kill them quicker this time make sure they die not long after you traumatize them, yeah instead of letting them live to become hair shares yeah that's the real issue you've got just man- preemptively murder some children it's fine see i mean that's how you know they were successful with himiko she actually dies yeah <laughs> That's why she's held up he, as like the perfect Valkyrie. Yeah, but Himeko did that willingly, though. She did that to save a friend. I mean, yeah, but let, like, let's not pretend that Himeko isn't like wildly traumatized and suffering yeah, from no. a massive inferiority complex. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. Uh, anyway, Honkai Impact, really good storyline. Also, Highly the game is just fun to play when you actually have tools. Yeah, it is. I, I think that's the other thing that makes it really hard to get into at first. Uh, all of the tools that make the game interesting require like either getting really lucky pulls or uh, dedicated large amounts of farming. Yeah. Also, you have to really, really, really actually read every detail about what a character's actives and passives do. And and sometimes the interactions are a little unclear, especially between each uh, uh, suit where the interactions can, like, be a little messy. Um, And then you also aren't hitting content where, like, being aware of those interactions, the point where the game starts to get really interesting, until, like you're pretty invested in and like pretty deep in the game and so that it it's just like a, a wide variety of things that make it really hard to get into initially but once you're bought in it's like oh hey this actually kind of whips ass yeah yeah like w- when i first got shadow knight i didn't like her because i had no idea how to mm-hmm. use her because she doesn't play like a lot of other characters nope um most uh fuhua uh suits play way different yeah and so, like eventually i just like went into fuhua's skill list uh, like the upgrade tree mm-hmm. and actually read how how the basic attacks works how like the charge the charge attacks works they're not really charge attacks no hold the button down it, it works more like a standard character action game combo system i was gonna say yeah she the secret about most fuhua characters is you know how this game is just banned out of light she actually plays like Bayonetta yeah, Light. Yeah, she she's actually just a Devil May Cry. Shadow Knight literally gets <laughs> Wicked Weaves in yeah. burst mode. Yeah. Um. So once I once I figured out how how she was supposed to function, Shadow Knight is now one of my favorite mm-hmm. Valkyries because she's so fun. Yeah, and she's actually someone that uh, Phoenix is actually really good with because you can feed a bunch of SP packs to Shadow Knight and then all of a sudden her burst ga- her, her uh, SP gauges fall and she can burst for fucking ever. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But yeah, anyway, um, that was just my redaction of my previous uh, sta- previously stated opinion on Honkai Impact um, now that we're no longer doing gotcha games. In front of the, it's my podcast. I can do anything I want with this. Yeah, I mean, fuck it. Who's listening? Um, Who gives a shit? Anyway, with that out of the way, let's actually get to the Fate Stay Night content. Uh, we are covering days 9 through 11. God, my throat is really dry right now. It's going to crack open this water bottle on mic. That's professionalism. Now I'm more like the We Hate Movies crew. 
I mean, listen, I, I was telling Molly, like, earlier last week, I'm actively as hostile as possible on every podcast that I'm on <laughs> to make sure that any fan base we get is comfortable with me bullying them, yeah. so they'll endure it. All right, so, day nine, we see a dream of the unknown knight again. Quote, he had some power and he had some ambition, but he used his powers at the wrong places from beginning to end, and he died. It's only natural. Power exists to grant your own wishes. Compassion does, does no good for others. Kyrie says so often, but everything is balanced because everything you do comes back to you, end quote. The dreamer reasons that because this knight was constantly giving up, giving up himself to others, he never replenished his energy. In the end, his life was ended by, quote, someone he saved. Yet he died satisfied. Unlike before, the dream continues. Uh... <clears throat> Uh, hold on a second. I think I... Okay. The dreamer sees a scene of a natural disaster where the knight makes a contract with the world. He could not be, he could not be called a hero by any common metrics, but the only qualification for a hero is, is to be able to save those that are fated to die. Quote, I guess compensation for a miracle is to become a convenient, disposable tool that will fight for others even after one dies, end quote. Oh, it's like the themes are finally coming back. Um, yeah, I, I think one thing that is important to highlight here is... Uh, 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 so we find that... Uh, this is obviously talking about Archer. Like, yes. It, like, th th it's not even being subtle at this point. This is obviously yeah. talking about Archer. Um, we find out here that Archer made this contract to save, like maybe dozens of people not like hundreds not like thousands of people not anything that would like get him in the annals of history or anything like that like all of the other heroic spirits yeah certainly not a number that like saber was considering which was like an entire nation yes and, and so like uh sure makes a distinction here between like uh, um he, he basically says uh that it's not enough that anybody would consider him a quote-unquote hero but it still is a it, he still is a hero for doing so it. you say shiro but the twist here is that this is not Yes, Shiro's this is dream. not sure. This is Rin. <laughs> yeah, so this is actually Rin's dream, yes. which is interesting. Um, oh. But yeah, it, Rin makes the distinction that, like, it is still a... It is clearly still a heroic thing to do. Yeah. Um, and, like, the fact that it is only for so few people is almost something that amplifies that heroism. That, that it is something so small-scale, so uh, individualized, that he is willing to trade his life for the that few people is simultaneously heroic and tragic at the same time. It's, yeah. it's almost like Archer is a tragic hero figure or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rin subconscious goes on to explain that unlike servants, heroic spirits have no free will. Uh, the world summons them prote to protect itself when something appears that could destroy it. The servant system taps into this naturally existing system of guardians. The bitter irony of this knight's existence is that heroic spirits are only summoned to places that are already filled with death. Every time he was summoned, he would have to see the worst of humanity and kill many people in order to save the whole world. Quote, in the end, he was betrayed by the only thing he believed in, his ideal, end quote. Yeah, um, so th there's two things that I think are specifically really interesting here. And the first is um, that, uh, we already kind of knew this, but uh, the... Uh, servant system is a hack of a currently existing system, and that is like clearly a created system. Um, we, yeah. we already know it was something that was created by mages in some capacity. We don't have the full details yet, even if like, I personally am aware of a large chunk of them, just because 
fate exists in the world, and so I've been around. Yeah. Um, but, like, uh, so we are aware that it is a created system in some ways, um, and that these servants are basically a hack, uh, and they are not just a hack, they are a hack that gives agency and personhood back to these heroic spirits, which explains part of why so many of them are so desperate to achieve the grail. Yeah. Um, it, it is the first time that they have achieved agency and personhood since becoming heroic spirits. Yeah, they um, when they're servants, they have wants. When they're just guardians summoned by the world to stave off a disaster, they're basically just weapons that the, tool, they, that the world they, uses. They're automatons, or yeah. Um The other important thing here is uh, one that's more thematic, which is that uh, the heroic spirit system as a whole is already a uh, an immediate critique of our understanding of heroism. Of, let me phrase. It is the... Uh, stories critique of uh, an understanding of heroism that I'm mm, we'll, we'll get to it as we get further <laughs> in the game but uh, uh, basically that uh, uh, heroism is uh, non-existent without a tragedy to avert that like the existence of heroism necessitates a tragedy to avert or to um, alleviate in some capacity at all um, and that there is no uh, it doesn't. It doesn't really believe in proactive heroism. I, I, I mean, it makes the case that like there is no such thing. That yeah. that that is that heroism is only extant in the face of um, in, in the face of tragedy that currently is made it, it, tragedy and threat that is current and manifest. Yeah, and like that's not necessary. It, it's a narrow definition of heroism, but I definitely have seen folks with that definition of heroism. Yeah. Um, and it's also, uh, uh, makes clear that, uh, they aren't really summoned in the face of, like, natural disasters. Like, it, the, the, uh, heroic spirits don't show up for, like, a hurricane. Yeah. It, it is, it is when people do this shit. People are hurt by people. Heroic yeah. spirits are a reaction to stop people. And so, to be a heroic spirit means to only ever be summoned to kill and stop people. Yeah. Um, which is the, the thing that... Uh, Archer did not lived his life basically forever working against uh, and accidentally I mean I say he con he got conned he, he conned himself yeah he conned himself into this uh, position basically yeah he he sort of tricked himself into thinking that this was the only way that he could live up to his dream of being a superhero <laughs> in which like no, man, you didn't become a superhero. You became a gun. Yeah. Uh-huh. You became a high-powered fucking sniper rifle. Somebody sitting on that hilltop with a Kraber named you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Rin wakes from this dream. This is, this is, it's where she wakes up that we get the reveal that it was Rin the whole time mm -hmm. um, dreaming this. Um, and to the point where I actually started writing this out, the first paragraph, as Shiro thinks I this. I really did too, yeah. And then had to correct myself to be more ambiguous in the summary when I found out what was going on. My, my note is literally, oh, Rin is the one who hates the unfairness of this situation. That makes more sense. Yeah, uh-huh. Yes. Um, uh, which begs the question, like... I, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to the specific scene that makes me question what exactly is going on with Rin later on. Mm -hmm. But for a time, I thought this particular scene indicated that at this point like Rin definitely knew what Archer's relationship with 
Shiro was. I don't think she knows. Okay. I I I think I think I think she sees a relationship. I don't think she has specifics. Okay. Um. Anyway, yeah, because there's something coming up real quick that's gonna mm-hmm. throw that into question. Uh, so. Um, much like how Shiro tapped into Saber's memory, Rin is doing the same thing with her own servant. As she gets dressed, she muses that she's not entirely sure if this is the kind of backstory she expected from Archer. I don't know what a hero, what hero he is, but it seems he was more honest before, she thinks. Uh, she wants to cry, but she laughs off her emotions instead to save face in front of Archer. Speaking of Archer, he shows up during her morning tea to ask her what she intends to do about the war since the partner she chose to cooperate with is too weak. Archer has apparently been pestering Rin to cut ties with Shiro quite frequently, but Rin has no intention of doing so. She says he may be weak in battle, but he's a perf- but he's perfect as an ally because she believes he would never betray her. She's not wrong about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dude's a puppy dog. Uh, Archer suggests allying with Caster's master instead, uh, which Rin finds insulting. Archer argues that, unlike Rin, Castor is a true Magus. Rin is not fit for fighting and should be putting results over her own wishes. Rin, in a wistful tone, agrees that there is something wrong with her. But Archer, she says, this is all because you showed me unnecessary things. It's your fault I have empathy. Uh, uh, Archer Archer asks what she means, but she says to forget about it. She tells Archer there are certain ethical boundaries she won't cross no matter what he says. Archer agrees to continue looking after her, but doesn't seem too happy with her response. Mm. Uh, Now we actually cut to Shiro waking up, who has gotten poor sleep recently due to his own dreams. He frequently sees Archer's twin swords in his dreams. Quote, (laughs) I specifically am quoting this, this because it's very fun to me. Yeah, I like them. So what? He thinks to himself. I literally have in my notes, Shiro loves swords, man, so much. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> I like that he gets defensive about it this time. It's so funny. Specifically because they're archers' swords. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a crush on myself. No, people don't know that yet. <laughs> we're, we're pretending we don't know that. Remember? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's going to get harder and harder. It's so... I, I mean... Because it's getting more and more... Should we just stop pretending at this point? Yeah, because it's getting really hard to talk about this stuff without actually talking about it. Yeah, I I mean... And also, it's, like, incredibly blatant at this point. uh, Yes. Uh, Okay, so, uh, from now on, I guess, uh, from this point forward, we're just going to be full blast about who uh, Archer is. Yeah, we're Um, not going to be pretending he's not Shiro from the future anymore. Archer is Shiro from the future, and, like, it... This is mainly just for our convenience so that we don't have to double back and rediscuss everything we've already discussed. Yeah, because yeah. that'd be a huge pain in the ass. Well, it'll also mean our la- the last episode for UBW is going to be four huge. fucking hours. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so we're just going to start talking about it from now on. Um, also because it's, honestly, like, it, it, next to Saber is King Arthur, it's one of the le- most spoiled things already. It's true. So, um... Anyway, uh, the other most spoiled thing is that people die when they are killed. <laughs> uh, at school, Shiro tries to search the building for any clues about who Castor's master is, uh, but he isn't finding any luck. During lunchtime with Issei, uh, Kuzuki-sensei enters the student council room. 
Shiro sees them chat for a bit, then asks, Is then asks Issei if he's on good terms with Kuzuki. Issei explains he's like an older brother to him. Kuzuki has been staying at his place for three years. Shiro suddenly realizes what that means for his search, uh, but does his best to keep his composure as he asks more questions. He asks if Kuzuki knows about the strange woman, and Issei says she's his fiance. Huh. Interesting. Weird. Uh, after school, uh, Shiro meets privately with Rin in a classroom to tell her what uh, tell her what he learned. Rin decides to pull some strings to get Kuzuki to stay for the night shift so they can ambush him. They're going to use force to test if Kuzuki is a master. Shiro worries about Rin putting herself in danger, but she makes it clear to him she's not going to change uh, her mind. Uh, back at home, Shiro and Saber have a cute scene where Shiro considers skipping dinner for now, since eating heavy food right before a battle could be bad. Saber, however, urges him to make food, saying they'll have more energy this way. Shiro thinks to himself that he should just that he should bring along a weapon just in case. He'll bring along a wooden sword to strengthen, but what he actually wishes he could have are archers' twin swords. He fucking loves swords so much. He wants to make out with those swords. <laughs> he does. This might be the Rin route technically, but it's really it's the, the sword, sword route. route. Yeah. Uh, he also reveals that he could tell how much Saber looks forward to his meals, and it's been uh, his secret joy to make her happy, um, which is which is very cute. It's so fucked up that they have way more chemistry in this route they than they do. did in Fate. They they are so much more an actual couple in this route. <laughs> well, I, I don't, even more than just like an actual couple, they feel like friends. Yeah, like yeah. it feels like they actually like like each other and interact with each other and like want want to talk to each other because Shiro's not being a fucking whack MRA advocate. Yeah, I, I also just love like. They have they they tease each other in the way friends do. Like yeah. Saber here is trying to conceal the fact that you know her her reasoning isn't based on any tactical advantage. She just, she wants just to eat really some likes food. Shiro's food, and like Shiro knows that, but he's not gonna just call her out. Uh, and meanwhile, like you know, if it was Rin, he would roast her ass to the moon and back. Oh yeah, uh huh. Um, Shiro and Saber meet up with Rin at seven o'clock. Rin reveals she didn't bring Archer along, partly because Saber should be enough, and partly because she's worried what Archer might do if he sees Caster. Fair. Uh, Rin has prepared their ambush spot with a boundary field that soundproofs the area. As Kuzuki passes by, Rin fires a gander shot. Kuzuki doesn't react, but the shot is blocked by a robe that suddenly appears in the sky. Kuzuki now faces them, and Caster suddenly teleports in. Caster threatens them, and Shiro suddenly decides to emerge from their hiding spot. Shiro asks Kuzuki if he's being controlled by Caster. Kuzuki wonders why he just asked that question. Shiro says that since he's an honest person, he shouldn't be overlooking Caster's actions. And if he's not overlooking them, that must mean he doesn't know about them. Shiro then explains how Caster has been draining magical energy from the whole town. Kuzuki admits he didn't know about any of this. Shiro briefly feels relieved, but then Kuzuki asks if Caster's actions are really all that bad. He basically goes, no, I didn't know about it, but like, I don't give a shit. Honestly, yeah. you should have killed them. Why'd you leave them alive? That's, this is way less efficient. Yeah, in fact, the, the quote from his, him is real good here. Um, it does not concern me how many strangers die, and besides, Caster has not taken anyone's life. I do not care about anyone. I am not a magus. I am just a killer that has rotted away. End quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, he admits he's Caster's puppet, and he won't intervene if they fight against Caster. But he will kill those who attack him. Saber is heard all she needs to hear. 
She rushes, she rushes forward. Caster fires magical bullets, but Saber's magic resistance is so high they don't even phase her. Saber charges Kuzuki and slashes at him. What no one is prepared for, though, is for Kuzuki to simply block Saber's sword. He catches it between his elbow and knee. Yeah, it's fucking sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what I will say is uh, uh, the UFO table uh, version of this scene is absolutely worth watching. It's fucking tight. Yeah, it rules. Um, <clears throat> Kuzuki counters with a series of rapid unarmed strikes, forcing Saber to try, and try to back away to a safe distance. She does not succeed. She's mercilessly beaten down by a shower of blows she cannot defend against. After a gratuitous amount of words spent explaining just how thoroughly Kuzuki is beating up Saber, he grabs her, piercing her fingers through the back of her neck, and then throws her into a concrete wall at 200 kilometers per hour. Yeah, the description basically makes it clear the reason that he's overwhelming Saber is less, like, brute force and more... He moves fucking weird, man. Yeah. Like, it, it, the technique he uses, it makes him move erratically and it, it, very confusingly, and Saber, who is not prepared for it and not used to fighting someone like this, just cannot handle it. Yeah. Because uh, he doesn't fight like a traditional servant. No. Uh, even Caster is surprised by this turn of events. Kuzuki then demands that Caster take care of Rin. Caster, still shaken, refuses, saying she'll deal with Saber and he should take care of the other masters. Kuzuki silently follows her request and approaches them. In order to not get a bad ending, you must protect Rin. Shiro tries to place himself between them, but Kuzuki closes the gap much quicker than expected and punches Rin directly in the stomach, cutting off her breath, which prevents her from casting a spell. Yeah, since pretty much all spells have a verbal component, um, unless you have a specific like magic circuit. Yeah, it's a very D&D rule. <laughs> Like, gotta, I mean, gotta have verbal casting. Well, it's not specifically D&D. It's common. But, well, still. but also, like, it, it does make sense with, like, how they've talked about the world. Like, spells are defined in the amount of verses you have to chant. Yeah. Uh, and, like, that was one of the things that made Caster so fucked up, is, like, she could just do shit with one or two words. Yeah. Um, Shiro steps in between them, and his sword is immediately destroyed when he barely blocks Kuzuki's next strike. Knowing that without a weapon he will surely die, Shiro uses protection, projection magic in a Hail Mary play. He creates archer's swords, Yang Sword Kansho and Yin Sword Bakuya. However, he's not able to maintain them properly and they quickly shatter. This does delay Kuzuki long enough to let Saber stand up again, though. Kuzuki realizes they must retreat. Saber now understands his fighting style and she won't fall for the same tricks again. Castor agrees, and with a sweep of her robes, she teleports both of them away. Every time Shiro says trace on, I mark the fuck out. Yeah, it's so it's, goddamn it's cool. A good, it's a good phrase. Trace on. Um, Rin laments that they've now lost their best chance to take out Castor. Kuzuki won't leave Ryudo Temple again after that. Even Saber doesn't think they'd stand much of a chance if they tried to force their way in. Rin then asks Shiro why he told her that he could only use strengthening magic. He says protection magic was the first one he learned, but he switched to strengthening because projection is inefficient. He then realizes he forgot to tell Rin any of this. <laughs> he admits even he's surprised he was able to make something that was pretty close to the real thing. Rin ponders that he could just have, just have a limited attribute and is very powerful at just one thing. Perhaps swords. <laughs> My element is sword. You mean metal? No. Yeah, which sword? Which we already kind of got to during the previous route. Yeah, like, we found think, that out during fate. Yeah, Rin directly says, especially his sword. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Rin ponders, uh, okay. She quickly drops the subject, though, and advises everyone to go home and rest. Back at home, Saber urges Shiro not to push himself, <laughs> and they both go to bed. Uh, his muscles feel a bit numb, but he doesn't think anything of it. Later at night, though, he's woken up by intense pain. Quote, it feels like hot metal is coming up my throat. Every muscle, every bone in my body is messed up, end quote. Uh, so this part uh, actually does something really interesting with it constantly shifting uh, font size and uh, uh, font in like the ways it describes pain. Um, and it actually felt really specifically evocative of, uh, of at least my experience with my, uh, so I get really chronic migraines. Um, and it, it feels actually really reminiscent of that experience of like, that rolling pain of like, oh, there'll be a moment where I'm like, okay, and then all of a sudden it hits, and you're like, oh, fuck! Yeah. Okay, I'm good. I'm... Nope! Wrong! <laughs> and just like, it manages to imitate that like, sense of uh, rolling, consistent pain really well. Yeah. Um, Shiro decides not to ask Saber for help, which, dude, <laughs> come on. And, this decision I at least attribute to him being both exhausted and half delirious. Yeah, like, th see, I, I, he is an idiot, but also, like, I totally understand, because the, the quote he gives for why he doesn't do that is, quote, I don't want to worry her, and I have to be responsible for what I did, end quote. Which is a dumb reason, but also, I understand. Well, especially when you consider <laughs> Shiro's relationship with magic is his whole life, he has operated under the assumption that every time he does magic, there's like a 60% chance he just straight up dies. Yeah. Because every time he does magic, he just he, has made a whole brand yeah, new magic circuit. he recreates circle. his magic circuit. <laughs> Which we find it's out. painful. Don't do that. Yeah. But yeah, like, like we find out uh, uh, that that is... Uh, that, that he thinks he is going to die every time he does magic. So this idea that like I have to be responsible for magic that I'm doing almost killing me kind of makes sense considering his background. Yeah, he, he just assumes that pain is inherent to the process. Um, yep. So he resolves to bear the pain until morning. Uh, we now get an interlude from Shindy's perspective. Fucking hate Shindy, dude. Uh, he's ruminating on his life in a strange place we haven't seen before. He thinks about how a stranger's child spent a few years in this room and threatened the Mateau blood for a long time. He thinks about how, how his father did not choose him and decide to kill off the Mateau blood, but his grandfather wished to revive the family. He believes women aren't needed in the Mateau household. Quote, he heard that his mother is some carrier, but she must have become useless after birth. He, he can bet on it that uh, he'll find what used to be his mother in this room, but he has no intention of searching for, a th for such a thing. First of all, he does not want to see that which gave birth to his unskillful body, end quote. Um, so Shinji just fucking hates women just in general. Yeah. Um, in the basement, he finds worms wriggling in the dark, surviving despite a lack of food. This room was used to raise swarms of bugs with black wings. Um, this will eventually come back in Fate Zero, where we get more explicit detail on what they do. They might show up in Heaven's Field. They 100%. I guarantee okay. they show uh, It's the Sakura route. Yeah. They will show up in Heaven's Field. Okay. I wasn't sure, but I sort of figured. I, the Heaven's Feel route, my understanding, is uh, very about uh, the whole Mateau family thing. Ah, that would make sense. Um, Gilgamesh is here. Yeah, I, 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 I need to offer my retraction. I was wrong. I was thinking <laughs> it was uh, uh, Lancer was his servant. It's Gilgamesh. 
Thank you. <laughs> and Shinji gleefully tells Gilgamesh that Kyrie told them he'll overlook any of their actions. Uh, Shinji explains that Kyrie apparently owes his grandfather. Shinji tells Gilgamesh to kill as many people as he wants to get stronger. He pats Gil on the shoulder, which seems to upset Gilgamesh. <laughs> I'd be upset if Shinji touched me too. Yeah. Uh, Shinji tells him they need to go now and thinks to himself that Gilgamesh must have gotten distracted by imagining... Oh. Oh, I forgot I need to put a content warning here. It's Gilgamesh and Shinji. Yeah. Like, you don't know what it is. You know yeah, what this con- content warning yeah, is. Yeah, there's a content warning for sexual assault again. Yep. So Shinji assumes that Gilgamesh is just distracted by imagining himself raping Saber because that's who Shinji is. Um, I, the fucked up part is... He might not be wrong. He might not be wrong, but in this case, he is. Um, Gilgamesh, however, tells him he doesn't understand what... Gilgamesh, however, tells Shinji that Shinji doesn't understand what the Holy Grail is. That's actually one thing that is interesting about this, sir. Gilgamesh is way less fascinated with Saber. Yeah, he's way... Yeah, he's way more, quote-unquote, chill. (laughs) At the very least, he's slightly less, like, possessively fixated on her. Yeah. And I wonder if it's because he hasn't, like, really clashed with her yet. Yeah, I don't know. Because um, I do remember when I watched the Limited Blade Works, like, one of the reasons why Fate Gilgamesh weirded me out was, like, I didn't remember him being this weird towards Saber in Limited Blade yeah. Works. It, it, it is, like, his interactions with Saber have been so limited to this point that I wonder if he just hasn't had a chance to develop that fixation. Yeah, maybe. Or I wonder if Nasu just went, maybe I don't want to write him like that after <laughs> writing Fate. Yeah, maybe. Um... Anyway, we're, oh, there's my place. Okay, so Gilgamesh says they should ignore the other masters since they're only sacrifices. Mm-hmm. If Shinji wants the Grail, there's something they have to obtain first. Shinji asks him what his wish is. Gilgamesh uses poetic language to make a JRP villain speech about how he wants to kill basically all of humanity. Uh, okay, so I, I actually did uh, mark this down because sure. I think it is actually interesting. Um, so he said uh, back in the old days. Uh, I chose ten labors and would kill the ones that I did not need, only to find I could not kill anybody. None of the labors were meaningless in the old world. Um, and meanwhile, he does not see that to be the case now. Uh, he, he thinks that there are so many superfluous people because he's a weird fascist who yeah. thinks that uh, 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 only meaningful people should exist, and so he needs to ki- His goal is... Uh, he wants to kill everyone who see, he sees as meaningless, meaningless extras because he's a weird crypto-fascist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is like... He's like a, it, it is not interesting in and of itself, but it is interesting in how distinct it is from his fate goal. Yeah, his fate goal is just like, I want to corrupt Saber and then rule this world as... <laughs> it, it is a distinction between... Uh, um, the first route, his vice is uh, is gluttony and uh, greed. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, this time around, it seems like he is primarily like wrath, uh, and, and like it is this desire for possession uh, that ends up transforming into a desire for destruction. Um, that is much different from the first route, and I don't necessarily know how that's going to pan out. But I do think it is interesting how distinct uh, Gilgamesh is from uh, Fate Gilgamesh. Yeah. Um, day, we start day 10. Shiro wakes up the next morning no longer feeling any pain. Unfortunately, he also can't feel the entire left side of his body, a totally normal thing to happen after waking up. 
Uh, he assumes it's probably because he slept wrong and goes about his day. I, I mean, it's pretty clear he doesn't actually think that. He's just trying to make excuses. Yeah. But, like, Shiro, my man. Shiro. Yeah. My man. Friend. Buddy old pal. <laughs> That's not what happens when you sleep weird. Yeah, no. Uh, Taiga shows up for breakfast after checking in on students who had to be hospitalized. She reassures Shiro that no one is in serious condition. As Shiro goes to leave, though, Saber asks him if he's feeling okay. She notices that his reactions are slower than usual. He says he's just heavy from yesterday and will recover soon. Once he leaves the house, though, he finds it's far more difficult than he thought it would be to just walk around. To the point where he says he's, like, feeling nauseated just moving. Mm-hmm. Um... When he gets back home, he tries to start making lunch, but keeps dropping things. Saber tells him she'll clean up the mess, and he should make something simple. She doesn't want his blood in her meal. (laughs) Ruin my food. I mean, it's fair. Suddenly, the doorbell rings, and Shiro goes to greet the visitor. Rin enters and seems pretty mad that he forgot to talk to her today. He apologizes and tells her she can go home now, but Rin decides they'll hold the meeting at his house instead. Shiro tries to stop her, but Rin just ignores his protests, as usual. After lunch, the three of them discuss the problem of Castor. The only option left seems to be a head-on assault, but even if Archer and Saber defeat Assassin, cornering Castor is a different matter. Should she lose, she'll likely just take them, take all of them out with her by just like detonating the Ryoto Temple just because there's so much magic concentrated there now. <clears throat> Uh, the clock strikes 6 o'clock, and Shiro gets up to make dinner. He stares at Rin, who is making no moves to get up and start going home. Rin then asks him why he's sitting so far away from her, and he complains she stole his usual spot. Rin realizes he's nervous around her, and teases him by asking asking why he's fine around Saber, Sakura, and Tiger, but not... Tiger? And Taiga, but not her. He deflects and tells her she should go home, since Archer must be waiting for her. Rin, however, refuses to leave until they've come to a decision on how to handle Castor. Saber sides with Rin. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Shiro starts cooking dinner, Taiga comes home and doesn't seem to be at all put off by Rin's presence. Well, at first. It takes her several moments before her brain catches up with recent events, and she demands to know what Rin is doing here. Rin easily kills her with kindness and claims to be having a study session with Shiro. It's, it's the same thing that happened during the Fate Route, where she just, like, yeah. basically overwhelms Taiga, and Taiga, like, All right. just sort of ends up accepting it because she's just taken that out. Yeah. Uh, after they eat, Shiro tries to wash the dishes, but he keeps breaking more plates. Rin watches him with concern, and after the fourth one, politely tells him she'll take care of it while he rests. Uh, you then have a choice uh, for what you want to do with your evening. Um, I'll cover the more um, fluffy one first. Uh, If you go to talk to Saber in the dojo, he makes small talk with her about food since he's in no condition to train. He wants to know what foods she doesn't like so so he can avoid them, but Saber insists she'll be satisfied with anything he makes. He explains that if he he knows what she likes and dislikes, the food he prepares will taste better. Saber immediately agrees to cooperate. (laughs) She's fine with both sweet and spicy foods, and while she's not a vegetarian, she thinks fresh veggies are an important part of a meal. As for meat, she has no preference, and wants him to keep cooking it however he feels like. He asks her how the cooking was where she was from. With a grim expression, she simply says it was roughly made. It is the only time he's seen her express hatred. 
<laughs> this scene this scene doesn't do anything plot important, but it is wonderful. It's so fucking funny. Just the idea that she fucking hates the food from her era so much yeah. is so funny. Uh, it's uh, the British don't know how to make food, said Saber, King She's of Britain. Right. She's right. <laughs> uh, realizing that he hasn't gained any new insight on her preferences, he asks if there's anything she can't eat. She says there is not. She can eat anything that tastes good. Quote, I have no weakness when it comes to food, end quote. I love Saber so much. Oh, fuck. Uh, if you go to talk to Rin at night instead, uh, Shiro finds her out by the shed in the cold, acting very suspiciously. He notices the shed door is open. Rin says it wasn't her, and Shiro responds that he thought he locked it from the outside. She falls for his trap and says the only way to lock the shed is from the inside. Uh, once she finally admits she saw his, ta- saw his failed projections, she starts scolding him for his process. Quote, you're using projection magic to confirm your basics? Try telling that to a magus other than me. They'll put you in formalin along with your brain, end quote. Yeah, basically the thing is, uh, uh, using projection to confirm the basics is like saying, uh, I do orbital mechanics as practice for fourth grade algebra. Yeah, like he's doing everything backwards. Uh, uh, not only are you doing everything backwards, you and I are never going to need orbital mechanics. Yeah. It, it, it is literally useless to us, and it, it, just learn algebra, dude. Just learn basic algebra. Yeah. Rin decides he can be a force to be reckoned with if he gets better at projection, but she's going to basically need to teach him from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, afterwards, they go inside and talk on the porch. Uh, Rin says they'll need to set a trap for Caster, but she's still deciding on how the trap will work exactly. In the worst case, Saber and Shiro will be the bait. She opens the sliding door and sits on the edge of the porch. She remarks, quote, It's a good boundary field. I feel some human emotion, unlike the one at my place. End quote. Uh, she, asks if Shiro, she asks Shiro if he wants to sit and talk with her for a bit. Without saying anything, he sits next to her. Rin talks about how she's been reevaluating him in Kuritsugu. Even though the house is technically a magus workshop, it's open and welcoming, because there's no knowledge to protect. Quote, I think that's what your dad meant by telling you to become a magic user and not a magus. You have nothing, but in its place you can go anywhere. My place is different. My mansion is called a haunted house, and it really is. It rejects anybody that comes, yet it doesn't release anyone that comes in. I sometimes think it's wrong, but it's not something I can change." End quote. Shiro asks if it was hard for her to grow up as a magus, and why she still goes to school. She says that, in both cases, she finds it fun. She likes learning new things, and she enjoys being a student. She says he must feel the same way if he continues to train of his own volition. But Shiro suddenly goes silent. It was never a matter of fun for him. It was something he believed he must do. Sensing she's missed the mark, Rid suddenly grows worried and asks him to answer her. He says he trained to be a superhero. He's glad that he's able to help others. Rin tells him it's not about being glad. She wants to know if there's anything he considers fun. He can't answer. Rin suddenly becomes angry, saying he's not even caring for his own self. She remarks that she didn't think you guys were this similar. She decides that tomorrow she will force him to admit defeat, continuing their fight in the school that got interrupted. 
Uh, this scene rules. This, this is this is one of my favorite scenes in the uh, game so far. Yeah. Um, it, it, both in like the literal context of like, hey, we are learning like both about uh, uh, the difference between uh, magic users as like a culture and uh, Kiritsugu's magic um, in like that boundary field, but also in the way it ends up being um, subtextually about uh, Rin and Shiro because Shiro is like a pretty open dude, like. He, he is internally shut down in a lot of ways, but, like, he is pretty open and welcoming to literally everybody, almost to a fault. Yeah. Like, they, he has no way to protect himself, uh, which has been part of the issue so far. And meanwhile, Rin is consistently and constantly closed off, but the moment somebody gets in, she refuses to let them go in any capacity. Um, and so, like, we get this subtextual uh, uh, conversation, and, like, we get this actual, like, connection between these two. Uh, and we also see Shiro, like, starting to reckon with the fact that holy fuck is his survivor's guilt so bad yeah. that he literally goes I uh, someone like me doesn't get to have fun yeah he doesn't even know he doesn't even do things for fun uh, like, like, like there's like, literally one point where he basically goes uh, uh, I'm not supposed to have fun or, or something along those lines yeah that comes up in, in to the next day actually where oh, he I, yeah I, I know it talks came up about the date too yeah um, but yeah, it, it, there's basically a point where he says something along the lines of like, uh, I, I don't deserve to have fun. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, man, like you, and, and like, this is part of what I think the game is trying to, or the story is trying to highlight when it explains, uh, um, it's less a condemnation of heroism as a whole and more a condemnation of, uh, this self-destructive heroism, this, uh, uh Yeah, the way not... that, the specific way that it manifests in Shiro, like, it's not bad to want to be a hero, but Shiro's going about it completely wrong. Yeah, this, this, this self-destructive desire to save other people out of obligation rather than out of, like, a sincere... And that's part of what they mean when folks... Like, this is the first moment, I think, that we really get uh, um, some clarification on the distinction between what Kiritsugu's dream is uh, and what it means for Shiro to have just taken on someone else's dream. Yeah. Because Kiritsugu genuinely wanted to be a superhero, to take care of other people. Uh, or at least uh, that's our understanding of it. Yeah. That may end up being changed a little bit in Fate Zero, but like that's our current understanding. Yeah. Whereas Shiro feels obligated to do so, um, and, and it's not a genuine desire to want to take care of people. It's more he feels he has to. He feels indebted to Kiritsugu. He feels indebted to Kiritsugu. He also feels indebted to the people who died, died instead in, of him. in place of him. Yes. It, it, he feels like all of them died in order to save him, or that they should have been saved instead. Yeah. Um. Basically, the boy's got trauma and has not processed any of it. And Kiritsugu is very bad as a therapist. Yeah, and and yeah, and so is so is Rin because like all Rin does is like get mad on his behalf, but in a way that like. But she's like also a teen, and so like I I get it. I get why she's mad on his behalf, but she because she like Rin is traumatized, but like for all of her trauma, Rin's pretty well adjusted. Yeah, uh like. I mean, you know, she's got that horrifying whole death cult she's a part of. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the terrifying desire to kill her empathy. Um, but but she's handling pretty well by just kind of like, just slowly ignoring those well, also, influences. Also, everybody who would have influenced her to do that died way earlier. Yeah. Like, she's just sort of been able to cope with things on her own. She's not doing great, but she's okay. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Shiro has just went... What if I just never address these problems? Yeah. What if I just and then I die. Uh, and as an Irish Catholic, I understand and I respect <laughs> that desire. 
but I can't tell you to follow through with it. It goes poorly. Oh, God. Can you imagine the horror of Catholic Shiro? Just be Shiro, but raised by Kyrie. I'm thinking about it. That actually might be kind of tight. <laughs> I might actually fuck with that. Oh, boy. I don't think it... I want to be clear. Shiro would be even more fucked. Oh, he'd be so bad. Shiro would be a nightmare. <laughs> uh, especially considering what we know of Kyrie. Oh, yeah, Kyrie is and, and, a like, garbage person. I, but here's the thing about Kyrie. Before the Grail War, he wasn't. He was like a pretty decent dude, is my understanding. Because he like understood the exact specifics of how to be a good person and followed through with all of them. Gee, it's almost like this constant desire to act is uh, <laughs> obligated to do so. Uh, um rather than acting out of any genuine desire to, like, take care of other people is it demonstrated <laughs> by another character. I can't yeah. think of anybody else who that uh -huh. might be emblematic of. <laughs> uh, so after this conversation, uh, uh, Rin storms off and Shiro realizes it's gotten late. He asks Taiga where Rin went since he, he should walk her home. Taiga says he's acting strange and that Rin said that Shiro was letting her stay over since it was so late. Taiga already showed her to the guest room. Defeated once again by Rin, Ashiro heads to the shed to practice his magic. He realizes it's gotten easier ever since he started copying the technique of Archer. He feels irritated by this, but he admits it's been a big help. Uh, after he finishes his routine, he notices his saber has come back to check up on him. Uh, he talks to her about his fond memories of Kuritsugu, and she says he had an... She, he's, and she says she had an immature Magus of her own, too. Quote, He was an ancient man. I respected him and loved him. But at the same time, he was the cause of every trouble. <laughs> it would have been a better age if he were not as mischievous. Really roasting Merlin here. It fucking... At one point, she basically says, That stupid bitch loved getting his dick so wet he got stuck under a rock. Yeah. It is so funny how brutally she roasts Merlin here. It... It makes me laugh because Merlin deserves it. Like yeah. he basically is like, yeah, he was so uh, he was such a romantic that he ended up uh, ensnaring himself or something like that. And it's like, yeah, that's basically what happened. He was so stupid he let himself get trapped under yeah. a rock. I I'm not sure if this is true to like the original myths, but in the Fate universe, um, Merlin is a half incubus. That makes sense. So yeah, I, there's a bunch of different like. <laughs> he's a bit of a fuckboy. Merlin myths, um, but at least in the original myth, my understanding is uh, uh he uh, Nimue basically uh, fucks with him uh, and uh, seduces him, and he he's aware she's leading him on to get him to teach her magic, uh, and then when she's learned enough. She traps him under a rock. And meanwhile, the whole time he's aware that he's going to end up fucked up under a rock. And, like, it's not going to be worth it. He's going with it the whole time and basically gives everybody a warning, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be heading out here soon. Uh, deuces. Uh, I'm about to go get stuck under a rock for some pussy. Uh, <laughs> bye. bye. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, I like when Saber talks about her past in the limited blade works because like it's so fucking funny. It's a lot more playful than yeah. it, it is in Fate. <laughs> Fate just felt like it's so dour, dodgy and dour. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it felt stiff. Yeah, like, it, it really made you wonder why Saber did anything she did if uh, it, it was all miserable. Mm -hmm. And like, it, it feels it, it makes more sense why Saber was so keen, was so dedicated. To like being a king when she starts talking about, you know, 
her past here because there is some fondness there. It's like, yeah, yeah Merlin was a fucking dumbass, and it would probably be better if he wasn't so much of a dumbass. But I loved him; he was great. <laughs> it also feels like the writing has just like, or the character writing specifically has started to like stretch its limbs. Like it, it it's yeah. shuck out all of like the stiffness in the fate root, and it feels like it's started to stretch and like really begin to show some legs yeah we'll see if that holds true for the porn scene i'm guessing it not, won't but... <laughs> i'm gonna get mad about the porn scene too <laughs> don't worry uh saber then asks what's happening with the left side of shira's body after telling her his sim- sy- symptoms the two of them are suddenly interrupted by archer appearing this motherfucker uh he tells shiro to show him his body since he might be able to help archer touches his back and tells him he should be fine in a few days he also tells Shiro what Rin did in the Fate Root. Magic circuits aren't made every single time. They're revealed whenever they need to be used. Quote, you did not know this, so a circuit that should have been used was neglected and in sleeping inside of you. Your numbness is temporary. There is, it is a result of full magical energy flowing into a circuit you have not used before. It is only surprised right now, end quote. Yeah, basically what he says, or at least my understanding, was that uh, instead of using his actual magic circuits, Shiro basically used his actual nervous system as his magic circuits every single time. Yeah. Uh, and like, is... <laughs> that, that is why it was so painful. That's why it was so dangerous. Um, and like, also, it, he's using his actual physical body. That's part of why his nature shows up so extremely in his magic. Yeah. And that's why it takes such a physical toll on him every time he does it. Yeah, so thankfully Shiro will be fine in a few days, but he should hold off from using magic until the circuit goes back to normal. Uh, Before Archer leaves, Shiro asks him why he fights. He says he is fighting to fulfill his own desires. If Shiro wants to fight for ideals, then he should go right ahead, as long as those are his own ideals. If it's borrowed from someone else, it will only ever be a fantasy. If you fight for an ideal, the only thing you can save is the ideal. You can't save people. Shiro can't argue back, and Saber seems just as troubled by the lecture as him. Yeah, this is the point where I... I don't know if I say push back, but I... I don't know if I necessarily am with the story's perspective. Or, or rather, for a story that is so actively critiquing the idea of uh, uh, fighting for... Uh, uh, solely for ideals rather than for actual people, it's pretty unconcerned with material realities. Yeah. Um, like, it, it, it is not really engaging with the fact that, like, yeah, I mean, if you're fighting to save ideals and like, you end up saving people in the process, like, those people literally are not dead. That is, that yeah. is a thing that happened, and it is pretty uh, non-fixated on that. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily hit right, but that's partly because I'm a communist. Yeah, because the thing is, like... It is good to fight for ideals, but it matters what those ideals are. Yeah, it matters what those ideals are. Um, like, uh, 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 and like, I mean, I think that's maybe even part of the point, um, which is that Shiro is really interested in the concept of saving people as an abstract concept, uh, and is not particularly interested in the people who need to be saved. Uh, it is yeah. not interested in the immediate danger or anything like that. It is just. I want to save people. That's why he is non-discriminatory and wanting to save everybody. Yeah, I think the primary issue with this scene is that it, it it's a it's a very messy way of trying to get to the point because it, it feels like, like trying to end on a mic drop without actually having the conversation. Yeah, and like in the process, Archer kind of sort of contradicts himself. Yeah, 
Because, like, he initially says, oh, yeah, it's fine to fight for ideals as long as you're fighting for your own ideals. And then his ending, like, mic drop moment is, if you just fight for ideals, you're not going to save people. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you can't you can't say both of those things. <laughs> like, you're kind of... I'm almost even okay with that, because, like, Archer is full of shit 90% of the yeah. time. And, like, is a dude who is full of contradictions all the time. Like, he's a man literally going back in time to kill himself. Yeah, it just, it just at this point, you know, it doesn't feel like the... It's just, the problem is, is, like, the game mm-hmm. for basically both the Fate route and also this route has presented Archer as the reasonable one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Fate route for sure definitely presented that. Uh, I think that gets complicated a lot more. Yeah, it does get complicated by his opinions on Caster, um, for sure. But... Well, I, I, but I think also, like, the rest of this route, I think, complicates it. Oh, yes. The, f- continuing on, yes, absolutely. I'm just saying, up yeah, till I, now. Up until now, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that contradiction, I I don't know if it's intentional, but I think it's a resu- as a result of it, I think it's, like, one of the first immediate points outside of, like, the stuff with Caster where you can start going, hey, man, you good? Because, like, yeah. you're spouting a lot of shit and it's kind of <laughs> bullshit. Like, are you all right? Like, yeah. you good? And the answer is no. He's very much not good. He's very sad and he's gonna kill himself about it. Yeah. To be clear, he mean, I mean younger him. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh... Day 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Shiro dreams, he ponders why he wanted to pursue his ideals. He dreams of the moment Kuritsugu saved him and realizing and realizes being a superhero wasn't his own dream. It was Kuritsugu's. As Archer said, he's pursuing a borrowed ideal. Uh, Shiro wakes up to make breakfast and finds that the loaf of bread... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, there's just one thing. I, uh, I, I do think it is important that the game does highlight that uh, Shiro's desire to save people is not a, like personal desire uh from his tragedy like like that like there is the obligation he feels uh from survivor's guilt but it's not like i saw people in danger and i wanted to save them it's i feel obligated to save other people because i shouldn't have been alive to begin with yeah um and it's not uh, i want to save people because i'm powerless i felt then it's i want to emulate a person who saved me it it is like that is specifically and the reason i think it's important to highlight that is the game is really unclear a lot of times what it means when it says it talks about a borrowed ideal yeah and, and i think it is important to like specify that like at least my read on what they mean by borrowed ideal is uh, um shiro's ideal comes not from a genuine desire to take care of people not from a desire to take care of those around him or for, to take care of those in danger it is a desire to uh, achieve Fulfill what he believes is an obligation placed upon him by his circumstances. An, an obligation placed upon him by circumstances where the actual people things are happening to are largely irrelevant beyond yeah. fix, it, it, fixtures to achieve this goal. Um, it, it is like, it is an understandable thing that he wants, but it is both an immature and a selfish thing that he wants. And, yeah. and I think that is specifically what the story is talking about with an a borrowed ideal. Yeah. In that, like, it is not an ideal... That he holds sincerely about taking care of people, about thinking this is something he genuinely needs. Or the ideal he at least espouses is not the actual ideal he holds. Yeah, and we kind of know that already because if he actually believed in his ideal, then he would not have handled Shinji the way he did. Correct. (laughs) Uh, So Shiro decides to make breakfast and finds that the loaf of bread he just bought is completely gone. Uh, he decides to make Japanese food for breakfast and tries to think of a way to catch the culprit. He knocks on Rin's door and is briefly worried that she doesn't seem to be up. Uh, if Shiro looks inside, he notices three lunchboxes sitting on the table. 
As he reaches to investigate, he hears a sound behind him. It turns out Rin is still asleep in her pajamas. Uh, and we get a CG scene. Because of course we do. Of course. Uh, Shiro freaks out and very carefully sneaks back out of the room to avoid waking her up. Uh, he continues making breakfast as everyone begins to wake up. When he hears Saber greeting Rin, he freezes up and stumbles over his words when greeting Rin himself, uh, which is the only part of this route I, this particular choice I kind of like, is Shiro just being incredibly flustered and Rin going like, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> He's so fucking stupid. <laughs> this virgin-ass bitch. Now, Rin doesn't seem to realize why, though, and asks him why he's moving so slow. Uh, they need to head out to the neighborhood town today. Uh, neighboring town today. Um, he asks why they'll be going out there, and she responds, uh, matter-of-factly, that she'll be going on a date with him. Uh, she's leaving Archer behind, but she's fine with Saber coming along. Uh, what follows is... incredible. <laughs> An incredible sequence of events. Everything I had wanted from the Fate route, basically. It is fucking amazing. This date is so good. I, and here's the wild thing about the date. Like, narratively... Like, in terms of actual plot beats, we could skip over probably 90% yeah, of it. Yeah, basically nothing, quote-unquote, nothing happens. Hey, remember but, how the date we had in the Fate Route was fucking miserable? Yeah, this is the opposite of that. This is the delight. This is incredible. It turns out the secret was that you just didn't bring Rin along. That was the problem with the I date. I agree, you correct. Didn't bring Rin. Um, arriving in town, Rin asks if they have anywhere they want to go. Neither Shiro nor Saber have any particular ideas. Ren says, quote, if you don't have any requests, does that mean you guys will give me absolute obedience to whatever proposal I make, end quote? Like, we know you're a cop, Ren, honey, we get it. Uh, she decides they'll go to a place called Verde first to have some breakfast and a cup of tea and then go window shopping, because um, Ren really wants to be British. Uh, after a couple hours, Ren takes them to a cafe for some dessert. Uh, Shiro just wants to have some coffee, but Saber agrees with Rin that he should get some sugar to replenish his energy. She very earnestly suggests the mango Russian cream. I love Saber just going, oh yes, you should have some dessert. <laughs> Shiro just totally playing along with Rin, who's, who's date... literally just here to like fluster Shiro. This whole date <laughs> is Rin and Saber roasting the shit out of Shiro and it's Yeah, but Saber incredible. not realizing that's uh, what they're doing. Saber definitely realizes well, about halfway through yeah, the, like, the meal. Yeah, Initial, like, in this cafe she doesn't. But like by the end of the meal she is absolutely playing into just like roasting uh, uh, Shiro. Yeah, this is this is a Rin X Saber corruption fic. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's later. <laughs> you know, yes, right. Um... Uh, sh uh, sh so, uh, sh uh, bleh. Saber admits that she ate sweet fruits while others weren't looking during long marches, which is great. <laughs> Love King Arthur. Uh, oh, this fucking dumbass teen king. Uh, sh uh quote, chocolate and such like originated from alchemy as well, end quote. Uh, as he gets politely browbeaten into buying, de buying desserts, Shiro reflects that Rin is quite beautiful, and Rin and Saber together make a striking pair. I agree, Shiro. Nasu, you're correct. I wonder who should be the couple here. It's definitely the milk toast dude. Yeah. After finishing their break, Rin decides to take Saber to a store so she can try on some accessories. Specifically take Saber to a store so Rin can dress Saber up in cute items. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Once their date concludes, Rin winds down by teasing Shiro a little. Uh, he acts self-conscious about his height, but Rin assures him that he's still growing. He asks how she knows, and she awkward, awkwardly replies, You have a firm build, so you'll grow if you get the right nutrition, right? I thought you'd grow if you used photosynthesis. Uh, <laughs> so, like, Rin basically, like, almost says, well, because you're hot, and then, like, has to walk it back. See, this is, this is what initially made me think that Rin definitely knows what the twist is. Because I figured she said that because she knows she will grow that he will grow up to look like Archer. Oh, see, I, I don't think she knows the twist. I think she just was like trying to say that, like, I think you're hot, and like trying to comfort him, and yeah. then realized what she had said, uh, and like had to walk that back a little bit. Yeah, your your explanation makes more sense within the context of like everything else she says. She says about like Archer, where it's mm-hmm. like her clearly not realizing it but this is what this is what initially confused me because initially it seems like she doesn't know and here it's like oh i thought she just knew that because she sees what archer is like and and he's like oh you're no you're gonna get ripped like archer you're gonna be super hot i think i think your thing is like you're already ripped like yeah you gonna be hot uh so uh rin then pressures them into going to the batting cages I really wish that we actually got a, an actual scene of them at the batting cages. God, me too. Doesn't um, at one point Shiro say basically like a, a, a kind of like being pulled around like this? Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Shiro, man, we know you're a sub. It's fine. Uh, although Shiro might protest, he suddenly realizes that his anxiety has gone away because he's having fun. He realizes what he's been missing out on by not involving himself in activities all these years. So I think it's important here. Uh, he realizes he's having fun. And immediately it stops having fun. Yeah. It, the moment he realizes consciously he is having fun, he immediately A, feels guilty, and B, stops having fun. Yeah, he Because he immediately is like, it. oh, I shouldn't be having fun. Yeah. It, it, he literally says something like, uh, it's not fair for someone like me to be having fun. Yeah. And it's like, oh, which, oh, you got it bad, homie. Yeah, oh. which is precisely what Rin was trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, tragically, we cut to just the aftermath of the badging cages. Uh, Shiro ended up having to play five games against Saber. Uh, it turns out she hates losing. <laughs> He's even more surprised that Rin was able to hit so many 120 kilom- uh, uh, kilometer per hour fastballs and, jo- and jokes that Rin must do push-ups before bed. She says she does and defensively asks if that's weird. <laughs> Rin, you dumb motherfucker, I love you. Shiro just replies nice. <laughs> Listen, he needs his top to be fucking cut. Yeah. Uh, Rin takes them to the park to eat the lunch boxes she prepared. Shiro only fucks with girls who could fucking be- yeah. curl him. That's true. His his romances so far are with Saber and Rin who could both beat his ass. To be fair, like everybody could beat his ass yeah. as this game continues to yeah. prove. Uh, uh, she, Rin deliberately fl- uh, flusters Shiro by offering to wipe some sauce off his lip, not realizing he'd end up using his sleeve and staining his clothes. <laughs> this fucking mess of a boy. Uh, Shiro warns her that he'll not be so easily perturbed from now on, and Rin asks if that means she won't have to hold back anymore. This is like the best flirting Nasu has written. Yeah, it's like legitimate flirting. It, it rules. It's like 
this is the thing that I I was talking about in the fate route of being really frustrated at missing, where it felt like there was no chemistry between Saber and Shiro. Like, this feels like actual flirting. This yeah. feels like they're actually enjoying each other's company. It feels yeah. like Rin actually likes him and is like actually bringing the full court press to his stupid ass. Yeah, and also likes that likes that she can fluster him and that mm-hmm. he's this kind of like awkward goofball. Um, so uh, Shiro backpedals, requesting that she continue acting as usual. <laughs> Uh, Rin, she fucking chokes. Yeah, she agrees and tells him to let her know when he wants to go to the next level. <laughs> Rin is just constantly just calling his bluff, being the most blatantly horny woman in this entire thing. Also, like I don't know, there, there's something in that moment that I actually really like um, because it's like the first moment we see of Rin like actively being vulnerable and like actively acknowledging yeah i i like you like yeah pretty clearly but also like giving shiro the space to be comfortable with that yeah like pretty clearly out there being like yeah like let me know (laughs) fucking hit me up when you got the balls to fucking say yes (laughs) yeah she gives him an out uh they start to eat their sandwiches and shiro thinks about why rin came to his house in the first place Archer knew about his body and must have told Rin about projection magic, uh, how projection magic would affect him. Rin claims she visited on a whim. Shiro says last night was, uh, basically like, I worded this badly in the summary, but basically like, Shiro's like, huh, I wonder why Rin just randomly visited my house to begin with. He deduces that like, like Archer told him, like Archer told her what he knew about what happened to his body Rin connected that with him using projection magic to save her, uh, mm-hmm. and because she felt bad about, like, Shiro basically almost killing herself because her plan just completely collapsed, just came bit. by to make sure that he would be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, be- because she has to be, like, the 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 put-together uh, and uh, aloof um woman that she is she denies it uh and she's like oh i just i just decide to on a whim just a whim i had you know casually decided to walk halfway across town <laughs> yeah just in the middle of the night yeah uh shiro says last night was fun and thanks her uh, rin gets embarrassed by his earnestness and says she wasn't concerned about him shiro grace graciously gives her cover and says she must have checked on him to make sure her ally hadn't died on her mm-hmm uh, he then reflects that it feels great to embarrass someone you like. <laughs> so on that, they agree. <laughs> it's They mutually like embarrassing each other. Um, as they finish their lunch, storm clouds start to roll in. They don't have umbrellas, so Rin suggests they head back home. Uh, we cut to them getting off the bus, and Rin asks Shiro if he had fun. Um, it was fun for him, but he struggles to say so directly, but he feels it's more than he deserves. Rin starts to get frustrated and, tell, and tells him he's being rude to the person who escorted him. He says that that wasn't what he meant, but Rin disagrees. Quote, you're unconsciously putting brakes on. I don't know what happened to you before, but why don't you just forget it if it's so painful? End quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, she leaves in a huff, and Saber and Shiro follow her back to Shiro's house. Once they get there, all three of them sense something strange and realize the boundary field has been removed. Worried for Taiga... Shiro runs into the house. 
He finds Caster holding Taiga hostage in the living room. In, like, the most gay way you can hold someone hostage, let's be honest here. That is how I hold people hostage, so that tracks. <laughs> like, uh, it's really suggestive. Uh, she tries to get him to read... It, it basically looks like one of those pulp lesbian pulp novels. Mm -hmm. It's that sort of pose. Yeah, and it rules. I'm uh, kind of confused where the issue is here. Uh, she tries to get him to recon. Uh, she tries to get him to reconsider being on her side. She, uh, she doesn't think a case like him has existed before in any of the four Holy Grail Wars. You're so incompetent, yet you have the best. That yet you have the best servant. That's so uh, weird. I must study you. I think she also is specifically talking about his projection magic. That yeah, because that, mm. like we've established multiple times. Projection magic shouldn't be good like that. Yeah, it, especially not for someone who basically doesn't have any magical talent. Yeah. Um, so she wants to just study him in a lab. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, he refuses, of course. <laughs> well, uh, uh, so I, I do think this is an, uh, another important thing. Oh, right. He wants... So she wants his incomplete, uh, unique ability. Yes. She wants it, She wants him for a couple reasons. The first is uh, she. Uh, he is easy to control because he's a weak mate, just... Uh, his ability is unique and interesting, and it's incomplete. And so it's a bunch of things that uh, he can use and can use safely. She doesn't care about Rin because Rin is a good enough mage and uh, that she couldn't do anything to safely control her. And also, mages are a diamond dozen, whatever. Yeah, you can find them anywhere. Um, the other thing is, uh, she basically says, yeah, you come with me, we'll let other people go. It's fine. Uh, if, I go if you come with me, Rin can go home safe. I won't kill her here. Uh, it'll be fine. Um... And, like, it basically makes the case appealing to those ideals that we've had of him continually self-sacrificing and uh, not valuing himself in any real way uh, over the lives of the people around him. Um, and so, like, by those ideals, he should accept. Like, if he is following those ideals, by all accounts, he should say yes. Yeah. Um, but... And him saying no is the first crack that, like, hey, maybe that's a little whack. Yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. There's a moth on my microphone. Sick. Uh, thank you for flicking that away. Um, uh, she says it's a pity since she could have shared the grail with him. He says the grail has nothing to do with it and he just wants to stop people like her from getting it. <laughs> Let's see if I remember to edit that out. <laughs> Who well, knows? I have to leave it in now that we've talked about it. <laughs> Uh, where the fuck was I? Oh, here we go. Uh, share the yeah, she argues that he's lying to himself. He's a victim of the Grail. Dismissing the Grail like that just proves how much he despises it. Mm -hmm. uh, he, she says he has the right to take his revenge and obtain the Grail and share it with the people he trusts. After all, there are ways to obtain the Holy Grail without fighting. However, Shiro still refuses. He says she's technically correct, but her methods are wrong. He won't co cooperate with someone who attacks people indiscriminately. By refusing, though, he puts Taiga's life in danger. Caster will only let her go if he instead gives up his command spell by severing his arm. Mm -hmm. Saber and Rin object, but Shiro agrees to the sacrifice. Once she's close to him, though, she laughs and calls him stupid. Her dagger slashes toward his heart instead. Uh, Saber rushes in and deflects the, uh, deflects the dagger. Caster threatens Taiga again, and Shiro uses his last command spell to force Saber to stop. Caster uses this opportunity to thrust her dagger, Rule Breaker, into Saber. Her connection to Shiro is completely severed, and three command spells appear on Caster's arm. 
With Saber as her familiar now, Caster can finally take on Berserker. She gives Taiga back to Shiro, then uses a command spell to order Saber to kill Rin. Shiro stands in the way of the blade and gets stabbed by her sword. Caster then orders Saber to just kill them both, but Saber's magic resistance is so strong it even opposes the command spell, uh, obviously helped by Saber's relationship with mm -hmm. her master and Rin. Uh, with tears streaming down her cheeks, Saber pulls out her sword and begs Shiro to run. With Taiga in his arms, Rin drags him to her own house. As she begins to treat him, she tells him she can't heal his heal this wound. He won't be able to fight with it, but uh, with it. But now that he's not a master, there's no reason for him to fight. Shiro drifts off to sleep. While he rests, Rin debriefs with Archer. Archer acts unconcerned about Saber, but Rin believes he likes Saber more than he lets on. He went easy on her during their first fight, and he scolded her after the encounter against Ryder. Rin asks if he remembers which hero he is now, but he claims his memory is still hazy. They both agree they have, they have to deal with Caster soon before she can fully control Saber. Archer then asks if Rin will rescind her command spell now that Shiro is no longer a master. She doesn't answer and Archer asks if she intends to take care of him because he cooperated with her. She claims she's not that good of a person, but she won't break her promise until he says he's out of the war. They then both agree they should confront Caster before she can take refuge in the temple again. After they leave, Shira wakes up and tries to stand. He almost immediately falls and knocks over some items in the process. One of them is the amulet he recognizes from the night he got stabbed by Lancer. He realizes now what Rin did for him, which makes him determined to go look for her. He has something he needs to tell her. He heads to the rooftop of the building where he noticed Rin looking down on him. He finds Rin there again, but she just tells him to go home. He's no use without Saber. Shiro objects, wanting to save Saber from Caster's clutches, but Rin tells him he can't save Saber as he is now, and... And Shiro kind of just proves that by trying to chase after Rin and, like, almost immediately collapsing from the pain of his wound. Mm -hmm. uh, Rin and Archer leap off the roof and vanish into the night. Yeah, uh, important thing here is that uh, Shiro is not auto-healing because the connection to uh, Saber being gone means that Avalon no longer functions. Yeah, the Avalon is still in him, but it's no longer being supplied magic by Saber, so it's not functioning. Mm -hmm. Uh, we cut to Caster, who is ordering Assassin to defend the gate. Caster, who only views him as a tool, is condescending to him, and Assassin is clearly chafing under her demands. He asks her if it's okay to keep her plan for tonight secret from her own master. At that, Caster activates the curse she placed into Assassin's body upon his summoning, causing him to explode. <laughs> but uh, not die! Yeah, it's not fatal, though. It's just, you know, one of those mild explosions in your, inside your body. Uh, just something she uses to keep him in his place. She reveals that once she has control of Saber, she intends to leave the temple and relocate to somewhere, somewhere more suitable. We return to Shiro, who has gone back to his own house to try and rest and recover. He may be powerless, but he does have a reason to fight. He has to win against himself. He's determined to follow the path he's on and fight alongside Rin, and we end Day 11. Mm -hmm. So overall, these three days are much better than the oh, last yeah. three days. Uh, there, there was actually a lot here. Me being the slice of life person that I am, I love the cute shit. It was yeah. Good. There's a lot it. of great scenes here. Um, and then we also see Shiro f 
fucking finally acquires some sense of agency and self-motivation and we also see the cracks in uh his self-destructive fixation um and immediately followed by him again being self-destructive and it's like bro you were so close you almost got there come on yeah uh-huh um, yeah it, it's knowing what comes up next i am curious how it ends up being different from the show yeah yeah because there's all of the worm shit there is uh oh i guess there's not much more worm shit in this part i actually checked i actually checked the wikipedia page because i was curious like at what part of the illuminated blade works series are we at right now so there's five more days yeah what's what's actually interesting is that like where we ended right now is exactly where the first season of of unlimited blade works and like day 12 literally ends like episode 12 literally ends on the end of day 11 that makes sense that's the right place to end yeah a season yeah like like shiro having a tragedy happen uh drastic shift to the status quo and then the uh uh, reacquisition of desire to fight yeah that's Mm -hmm. the right place to start um yeah I'm, i'm trying to think what we've got left to go through and there's there's some sick shit coming up. Yeah, there there are some like really cool fight scenes that. And then there's every time Shinji shows up. Great, and, yeah. There's also God. There is one particular scene with Shinji that's I'm, gonna I'm not, really suck to cover. The scene with the fire. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not looking forward to. There is one part of that scene that I'm looking forward to. And that's Lancer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Correct. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, Lancer's there. Thank God. But yeah, it sucks. Um, we'll get to that when we get to that, though. We're gonna need some more content warnings, like, every fucking time Shinji shows up in this route. Shinji's the worst part of this game, and I wish he didn't exist. Oh, God. Uh, like... I'm really worried what it's gonna be like in Heaven's Feel. Oh, it's gonna be bad! But here, here's the key difference. So, in Heaven's Feel, at least because it's about Sakura, and it's about specifically her relationship, and we know it's about the Mateau family and that's gonna yeah. be a whole thing but at least it has a context there. yeah that's true like, like it has a context in which to exist in which there is a point to it theoretically there, there is a point to it especially considering what happens and the direction that Sakura goes it, it, as like a reason for the things that happen to happen so that there is at least a context and a justification that I don't like but at least makes some sense yeah here it feels uh, um, not, uh, uh, obligatory. What's the opposite of obligatory? Superfluous. Uh, superfluous, yeah. Uh, it, it feels unnecessary. It feels, like, uh, uh, like, self-satisfactory and almost masturbatory. It's just like, I'm yeah. gonna make this dude evil and bad and gross, and it's yeah. like, you could just make him a shithead without making him rapey. Why does he have to be rapey to every woman he meets? Yeah, we really, there really wasn't much of a point to the worm scene other than to reveal that uh, Gilgamesh is his servant now, which, like, you was already implied uh, by the previous conversation. The worm scene, I think, seeds stuff for later. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, for Especially for the whole Mato family thing. Yeah. I, I don't it could have been could... seated better. Like, oh, it, it could have been seated, like, as early as the fate route. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I don't think you can drop the whole Mato family thing without, it, just out of nowhere, like, yeah. hey, hey, do what, does worm shit gross you out? Don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be it for this episode. Next time we will cover days uh, 12 through 14. We are two recordings away from being done with the Blade Works. Damn. 
We're burning through Fate Stay Night much faster than I expected. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's actually not as long as you might think it is. We say that at, before we get to uh, 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 Heaven's Field, yeah. the longest route. Yeah, I, I look at the flowchart in, in that route and I just, like, get hives. <laughs> Heaven's Field's gonna be so fucking long. <laughs> like, even... Like, I'm even, like, doing both the the good and the true route in Unlimited Blade Works at the same time. It's really not that bad. No. Like... It, it's minor deviations. Yeah, it's very minor. Like, it's basically... Like, sometimes you have a scene with, just with Saber instead of Rin, and that's mm-hmm. the difference. <laughs> And then meanwhile, it, 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 Nasu went, okay, so you got through the prologue, now it's time for the real game called Heaven's Feel. Yeah, this is this is where your choices matter. This is where you have to hit the hard gates. Here, Here is where, hey bitch, did you learn how flags work? Do you have a progression guide up? Yeah. No? Fuck you. There is a specific, there, there, there's very little free will you have. Correct. Yeah. In the Heaven's Feel route. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's 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 been a podcast. Yep. We've done a podcast. We sure have. Uh, we did it in the same room. Incredible. We did it. Go us. Uh, anyway, yeah, you can follow me at StiltTheGM. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at RhetoricAcrobat. Um, I don't know why you would, but it's an option, I guess. Uh, one other thing I, I will mention um, is... Uh, I have a very good friend named Melissa who is uh, currently uh, raising money uh, for uh, facial feminization surgery. Uh, I've known her for many, many years. Um, I will place a link to the GoFundMe in the show notes, and I may even like um, do like a quote retweet so mm-hmm. I can pin it because I don't think you can pin other people's tweets on your timeline. So, yeah, so I'd have to quote retweet it and then pin it that way. Well, I'll think we'll figure something, something out. Yeah. Uh, regardless, fuck my Twitter. Go pay attention to Melissa's GoFundMe. That's yeah. way more important. Yeah. So, um, if you have like even a little bit of money that you can give, uh, you know, t- take a look at that link in the show notes or, or on my uh, Twitter feed, uh, and um, please donate if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the only plugs I will ever do for for fundraising here. Yeah. Because uh, it's for someone I care about a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, With that said, um, we will see y'all next recording, and remember, podcasts end when they stop recording. Anything you want to say? No? It hits different in person. Yeah? Because you can't, because you can only hear my shit-eating grin. (laughs) <laughs> when, when we're in remotely now I remembered can, it was coming like see it. two seconds before it happened <laughs> you can... the moment you said remember I went fuck just an internal <laughs> god damn it uh, and you can also see how pleased I am with myself <laughs>